You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. Welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin, and I'm here with my amigos, Dan and Jason. Howdy, 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 amigo! Dan, welcome back to the show. We missed you last week. Well, thank you very much. I just had better things to do with my time. Yeah, well, that's what they all say. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No one ever says that on a podcast. Oh, well, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't swing it. Well, I didn't want to. I had a a choice to do something else. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, uh, we got a good show for everybody today. We are going to talk about some tips on how to make your RPG, RPG sessions a little bit better. So... Um, we're excited to kind of get into it. We've got a lot of experience, especially with Dan and Jason. I'm kind of a rookie still in the GMing session myself, but um, I got some I got some uh, tricks to add to the. Yeah, you got some miles under your belt. Yeah, I got a, I got a little bit of miles. But anyway, we're gonna start with the, the Geek Week. I will kick it off this week. Um, big milestone for me this week is that we kicked off our Rogue Trader campaign last Saturday. Um, that was really interesting because we were planning to do it in person, but with everything, we ended up being able to use Dan's Zoom account and get everybody online and, and go for it, which I felt like went pretty well, all things considered. Yeah, it's great. I think it um, heads off to you for trying out a new system, first time playing and first time running. Usually most people will like play a game at a con and go, oh, I think I can run that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you ran it for the first time virtually. So... I think considering how bad the deck was stacked against you, I think it went great. Good job. Yeah, we had uh, three guys. There was uh, three guys that hadn't really played with us before, right? Um, Lincoln, um, Casey, and I mean, I guess to an extent, Justin. Justin was um, part of our big Shadow of the Demon Lord campaign, so he was familiar with me. But Lincoln and Casey are newcomers to our gaming group, and um, I thought all things like... The group meshed well together. Like we had some really good give and takes. Everybody was getting involved. They all wanted to try different things. Um, I thought we had a good session. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, I hope uh, everybody felt like they had their opportunity to shine. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, I kind of feel like um, people did. So, um, yeah, it was good times. We all had an opportunity to pick on Dan's character. That's right. <laughs> which, <laughs> which. I think I told you, Jason, which was kind of by design. Dan yeah. Dan was hoping that everybody would get that, and, and I'm really happy that everybody sort of went that route of, like, realizing that Dan's the fearless leader, but he may not be the best leader. <laughs> <laughs> fearless and best don't always go together. Good stuff. Good and, stuff. And for the record, that was that was by design by Dan, too. Like, yeah. Right, Dan? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You, 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 you got to always find your angle. And there's a, I told Justin this, there's a character I think I tend to play every several years in an RPG, which is uh, the deluded, deposed former leader. Yes. Uh, you take I've somebody, <laughs> you take somebody who used to be powerful or thinks they're powerful and they have delusions of their own grandeur. And uh, I've played this character in many settings and I, it, it always, it never fails to amuse me. Uh, probably annoys other people, but um, <laughs> yeah, I thought that the grim, dark universe of 40k was a great, great point place right. to uh, put my incompetent goofball, uh, uh, self-deluded leader in charge, just to see how the how he could survive the 40k yeah. grim, dark universe. Yeah, it's good times. Um, 
So, yeah, uh, when I wasn't prepping for that, I was playing some more Diablo, just trying to get all the season stuff done. Made my way along. Um, I'm Paragon level 225 now, if that means anything. Uh, Congratulations. Played- it does, yes. It means a lot. We're going to put that on your on your tombstone. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hopefully I'll be up much higher before I die, but, you know, who knows. <laughs> 13 uh, runs at seasons with level 200 plus Paragon. <laughs> exactly. Your kids are, your kids are going to mention that during your eulogy. He didn't yeah. play with me. He had to become a level 57 Paragon. <laughs> yeah. 225 down. But Five I mean, it's counting. It's counting. <laughs> uh, let's see. Played some zombie side of Jason the other day and just got some paintings done. So, you know, it was kind of a little bit more low key. Um, very much yeah. focused on getting the session ready, though. So, yeah. Uh, let's see, Dan, let's kick it over to you. Yeah, I had two RPG nights in one weekend. Uh, your uh, uh, Rogue Trader game, which was fantastic, and I also got in a game with my uh, Genesis Android folks. And uh, noticing that uh, playing these Zoom games or these virtual games has been a great way. I think RPGs are holding up pretty well. The theater of the mind works pretty well and in a pandemic situation. Mm-hmm. So I think there's people in my house that are annoyed that I'm having so much fun on a regular basis because this fun that I'm having is competing against nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> well, we could be going out and doing... Th- no, actually, there's literally nothing we could be doing right yep. now. So, uh, and that's yeah. been great. Um, I downloaded a new game for my phone since I was playing Rogue Trader. I'm like, hey, look, there's a Horus Heresy Legions <laughs> game. I need to download this for my iPhone and give it a whirl and get into the grim dark. I deleted it from my phone before the tutorial was over. <laughs> I'm like, this is uh, not my bag. I'm out. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's just one man's opinion. It may be your favorite game if it is your favorite game or if you're offended because I'm you know i i wasn't excited about the 40k universe i know you'll hunt me down and kill me i'm just waiting for you so there was a there's an age of sigmar card game on the mobile i don't remember what it's called but uh i downloaded it when i was getting an age of sigmar i was like oh, okay i play this and i was playing some card i was playing a hand or two and i was like this is fun and then uh i got on a plane and i went to open it and it was like you must be online to play this game and i was like you've got to be kidding me uninstall <laughs> <laughs> like the single player card game yeah and i've got to be yeah. i have to be online not yeah, no, not no soup you for must you. sink every now and then it is you must be online all the time to play this game and i said uninstall sorry yep <laughs> no epic thanks. fail yeah so i think games workshop is zero for two on their on our digital <laughs> experience <laughs> you know what's interesting is diablo 3 when it first came out it was a required online status as well oh that's right Yep, you had to be connected to the internet to play Diablo 3 when it first came out. And that leads right into your Geek Week, Jason. You want to tell us about your Oh, it does. Diablo yes, 3? I also I finished my seasonal set uh, for my Witch Doctor. So that's, uh, this, this one is near and dear to me because when I first got Diablo 3, when it first came out on the PC many, many aeons ago, um, the Witch Doctor was my first uh, class. So... It's always fun to go back and revisit that class and see how it's changed a bit. Uh, I think Justin, you and I were talking a little bit on the last one about how that game that game is just has such large replayability because it can just change the playstyle can just continually change every time you play through it with all the updates they give. Yeah, absolutely. 
more and more t tabletop simulator for me. Like Justin said, we played some Zombie Side. I played some other card games. Um, played uh, some uh, other games on it. It's just a lot of fun. It's easy to get together with buddies uh, and just you know flick parts and pieces and components around a table and play. Uh, the other thing I did this week. Uh, so I've talked about how I've been putting together an ogre army, and I did some casting for some bases. So I realized that I was missing some shoes for some of my ogres. So I actually had to make a mold this past week. A mold for these <laughs> tiny, tiny little shoes. <laughs> Are you saying your ogres can't walk around barefoot? They, they have like these, they're weird shoes. They, they're like, they're like steel toed and heeled like, they look like, remember those uh, roller skates from a long time ago where you would just put them on over your existing shoes? Oh, remember those? Yeah, wow. That's kind of what the ogre shoes look like. It looks I know, like I think got... of ogres on roller skates, man. I know, right? <laughs> it's great. Oh, it's, it's such a great idea for an army. No. Anyways, I had to waste a bunch of mold-making material to make these tiny little shoes because I just didn't have any more bits for it. Is this to make your set so tournament legal, or is this because you you you? It's because cannot... I'm OCD about my. You're OCD. <laughs> okay, okay, all right, okay. It's not realistic because if they're not wearing shoes. I know, I know, because honestly, the ones that didn't have shoes, I could just hide. It's like you know, they're wearing their socks to battle. <laughs> they, they could hide in the middle of the army with the other ones. You'd never know. You know, they'd be the first models I'd remove when somebody died on the. It just, <laughs> they gotta have shoes. It would also be your like, like during a painting competition, they'd pull out like a random one, and, and the like, one they would pull. Why don't they have any shoes? Be like this is uh, this guy's. Um, he just likes his socks. They're his lucky socks. I don't. I don't know how to respond to this. Jim. It's an oak. I, I need to back away out of this one. You didn't know where his shoes were. All right. I, I, I want to see these when they're done. That's all. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, it'll be. Well, hopefully, you won't notice the difference, right? That's the point. Is the mold? The molds are such high resolution because I mean they're they're essentially analog resolution, right? Uh, so you have infinite. Um, it's great. You really after I cast the first, well, I created the mold, and that's like an overnight process, right? Cause it takes like six to eight hours for the mold to set, and once it does, it's like ten minutes per shoes. Uh, but yeah, once I brought them out, you can't tell the difference between the shoes and the bits that I cast them from. So that's pretty happy with it but i wasted some uh time and materials making shoes from ogres <laughs> now this that pandemic I has has taken a, a toll on all of us right largely jay's sanity okay anyways that's probably it for my geek week honestly okay cool awesome uh right dan you want to kick us through some news just a little bit of news um Toy Vault announced a licensing deal with Paizo. These guys have been making Thulu fuzzies and D20 fuzzies and Vorpal Bunny slippers from Monty Python, and now they're getting into Starcraft and um, uh, sorry, uh, Starfinder and Pathfinder fuzzy things. Um, you may wonder why I put this as a news item. I think it's hysterical if you have small children in your house to go to a convention. And give them a fuzzy animal that is a secretly a uh, an RPG thing. Mm. Uh, so not a bad idea. It is not, not a bad look, idea. Look, it's adorable, Dad. What is this about? Yeah, it's it's a way to slip it in there subconsciously for this later. This is an life. assassin bunny, son. <laughs> what did they? Great? Yeah, what did they have for Monty Python's Holy Grail? Oh, the they had slip, bunny they slippers. Had slippers for the for the evil bunny that, that uh, went after yes. everybody with nice. jagged pointy teeth. Yep. 
Uh, the I next tried to watch that show with my son uh, like a year ago. It was just, for some reason all the rest of the family was out of town, and it was it was like me and my at the time sixteen year old son. I was like, let's uh, let's make some dinner and just sit on the couch and watch a movie. And so I put on the Holy Grail, and um, yeah, it's it kept up for me, but it's gener- definitely a generational gap there. <laughs> After about an hour, my son was like, uh, "Can we watch something else? Why are you making me watch this?" Yeah, <laughs> and then the um, who was the chased one? Oh, Sir Galahad. Oh, yeah, that chased. part where he yeah, when that part came sister. up, Sir Galahad, and I was like, "Oh, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't be watching this with my son." <laughs> <laughs> that was about the time he was like, "Can we watch something?" Else? I was like, "You bet, no problem." Uh, yeah, so I what you, you, you missed one of the best parts then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like that's that's one of the highlights of the whole film. No, I, uh, I watched the like hour long documentary on Netflix about uh, Holy Grail. I found out that Elvis was obsessed with this movie. He had an old style film movie projector in his house, and he watched it like nonstop. Wow! And Elvis would walk around quoting Holy Grail, and I was wow. like, that's "So funny, man!" I think Elvis was even cooler than I thought he was. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I've shown. I've shown my kids lots of clips of it to ease them in for the full movie. For the full. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how you started out. It's like, oh, the Black Knight is so funny. Yeah, exactly. So when they get to that part, they're like, oh, okay, all right, cool, you know. So. Cool. Next, next item of, of news. Um, cool Mini or Not, a.k.a. Simon, which we talked about a few episodes back when we talked about Kickstarter. Um, they are actually traded on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. And all of their That's an ki- interesting place to be traded for them. Well, it's a better it's better to be legally traded someplace than to you know be traded privately for lots of lots of really important uh, SEC reasons. Yeah, um, so I guess I guess my thing is that they're like a French company. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah, and we we talked about how awesome their Kickstarters were. They're really great Kickstarters, but they got in trouble. Um, their accountants don't like Kickstarter because it's it is a asset and a liability simultaneously. So if you have if you've taken in three net three point four million dollars on a Kickstarter, yet you owe your customers three point four million dollars in products, it's the type of thing that makes CPAs go nuts. Which means um, they got in a little bit of hot water for. Um, uh, for not delivering on their on the, on their profit margins, so um, this is one of the greatest you know success stories in in, in gaming and kickstarting cool games is Simon, and you know uh, there's growing pains with uh, with that kind of success. So mm-hmm. just just to let you know that, I, it sounds like they're going to resolve it and it's not that big of a deal. But um, these cool new ways of doing business like Kickstarter. When they come up against, you know, centuries-old institutionalized methods of math, like four-column accounting, <laughs> yeah, right. they don't always pan out the way you'd think. So um, it's just an, an interesting tidbit how we were talking about CMON, and, and then a few weeks later they, they got in the news. Um, my next item is D&D 5E has another unearthed arcana for a psionic options. So Ooh, they're giving uh, subclasses. Uh, the Cyanite is a fighter, a martial archetype, and the Soul Blade is a rogue scion, and the uh, psionic soul is a new sorcerer origin, and they have spells for the bards and the sorcerer and the warlock and the wizard and new feats, five new feats. 
that are psychic related and they have a new dice mechanic for managing your psych psionic level that rewards you for spending your psionic energy and not sitting on it and waiting for the for the big bad monster to lay it down so um uh, if you're interested in what direction the DD uh, developers are thinking about um and how they won't are expanding the 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 D&D 5e rule set. It it was really interesting to me where they're like, okay, well, we need to take telekinesis seriously. How can we apply it to the entire list of classes all at once? And yeah. so they they did it by doing subclasses and adding spells and stuff like that. So so I only ever played 5e. Did they have kind of these you know psionic or you know mental power um, classes before? Um, I think uh, I think Jay's the best person to answer that. I think um, that, yeah, I think there has been um, uh, psionic capability in various supplements and things. Uh, this this is funny to me, honestly. I'm sitting here kind of biting my tongue. I feel like we're gonna get to this point where you're gonna be like, "Hey, can my buddy come play at our session uh, uh, this weekend?" You're like, "Yeah, sure, come on over. Bring your buddy. It's fun. You know, we got a free spot. He'll come up and be like." So what are you bringing? He's like, I'm bringing a Socratic Mage Knight Blade. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Like, what is that class? Like, it's just, there's just going to be like yeah. hundreds of classes. And yeah. it's just going to be like, have all the okay. subclass stuff, right? Yeah. Subclass, the, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you won't know how to adjudicate it. Uh, right, uh, and yeah, that's the tough. thing, right? Because, and when you build, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, I guess, but when you build Assassin's as a GM, like one of the most important things for you is to make sure everybody has a good time. But in having a good time, is making sure everyone has an opportunity to use something that's specific to their class. Yeah. In that session. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't, it might you, be you don't want to showboat. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, so I think this is kind of funny. I think it's cool. Uh, it's always going to be cool. It keeps the game alive. Keeps it living. Um, it's just also a little humorous to me that there's all these different archetypes that keep coming out. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I like the un Unearth Arcana way of doing it because then it's not official. And when they do put it in a book, it's way right. later. It's true. And I think we've talked about this in the past. But in the old days, they would say, if you want to know what we're looking at, you're going to have to, you need to pay in $40 and buy this hardbound book. And maybe, yeah. maybe it'll help you. Maybe it won't. And maybe your GM will allow it. And maybe he or she won't. And then you were 40 bucks in. And you show up to the session and your GM, just like you're saying, is like, uh, I don't know if I can handle the psionic stuff because I don't want to buy the book that you bought and I don't want to learn these rules. Can't, can't we just stick to the basics? So I, 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 at least they, they put it out on the Internet and people can, you know, you know, read a six page, you know, eight and a half by 11 white page document. And yeah, go, it's okay, a little well, easier. Sure. And play yeah. test it a bit. It's like and an open beta it. test. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like uh, for me, I saw that I w and I started min-maxing my last D and D character, going, "Well, if I would have done this, then I would have gotten points here, and then I would have done <laughs> yeah. this, and why, 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 why couldn't I have done that? Oh, well, I don't have a time machine." So, all right, that's that's my last news item. So, so keeping with the D and D stuff, um, I've got actually two humble bundle things. If you are not subscribed to humble humble bundle or the bundle of holding, which is the kind of RPG version of humble bundle get on it. I think I've talked about it in other news items before, but um, there's two things that I wanted to point out. One is that um, there's a Forgotten Realms book collection um, that is on Humble Bundle right now, and if you are totally into mm -hmm. the Forgotten Realms, um, it's basically like almost all the books written by R.A. Salvatore, 
So, um, you know, these are these are old school books that he wrote that are just classic. So it's the Dark Elf trilogy. It's the War of the Spider Queen trilogy. Um, let's see. There's um, and that's if you pay one dollar, you get seven books. Right. If you pay eight dollars or more, you've got the Icewind Dale trilogy, Legacy of the Draw trilogy. I mean, there's, a, you know, War of the Spider, more War of the Spider Queens. Um, another 15 there's probably like 20 something books in here um that are just all like forgotten realms related and it looks like a lot of uh you know dark elf and um not dark elf what are they what are they called in uh D &D the drow again? talking the about drow. the drow yeah all the drow yeah it mm -hmm. looks like a lot of drow stuff um yeah there's a lot of just Erden stuff which is he's a famous uh drow that uh salvatore writes about yep so a lot of good stuff. Again, you can pay fifteen dollars and get twenty books, twenty ebooks. If you're into it, if you're if you're a GM, great source material for coming up with ideas for stuff like that. So check that out. The other humble bundle RPG thing that I saw was um, for all you Trekkies out there. Uh, they've got the new Star Trek RPG, and we have kind of a Star Trek RPG expert among us with Dan. But um, he can talk a little bit about it. But it is a um, 2D tabletop, uh, 2D20 tabletop role-playing game from um, Modifius. And let's see, you can get the basic player collection, which comes with a bunch of adventures, um, three Starfleet division books, and some player characters for $20. But then if you expand and uh, pay a little bit more, um, you end up getting the GM collection that gives you like the Beta Quadrant source book, which is huge. Um, these are the voyages of the Enterprise adventures, you know. So you've got um, you've got a bunch of stuff, uh, tons of missions, tough, you know, the, the GM screen, reference sheets, all that stuff. And um, I think that the total price for all of that is like forty dollars, which if you were to buy it retail, it'd be like 155, 160 bucks. So there's as of this podcast recording, there's 19 days left on that one. So uh, if you're interested in Star Trek, want to run something in, you know, Federation or Romulan space, I think that this is where you end up picking something up. Yeah, let me just shout out to uh, this version of the Star Trek RPG is the latest version um, you'd mentioned, published by Modifius. It's based on uh, what they call the the 2D20 system. Um, which I, I wish I had more experience with than I have, but I've, I've, um, I'm familiar with the mechanics of it. This was designed by Jay Little, who is a heck of a great guy. He's design, designed a lot of games that I've spent a lot of money on over the years. Uh, he was the mastermind behind the FFG RPG, as well as X-Wing, the thing that you know has made more money for FFG than anything else. Um, but he's a heck of a great person, and, and uh, I got to have dinner with him once um, at, a, at a Gen Con many years ago, and uh, we've, I've kept up with him over Facebook. And uh, if, if it's a Jay Little game, you, you, you know, it really, your risk is much lower than you would an average RPG writer, and that's my, my personal opinion. So um, the only reason why I have not liked purchased a whole bunch of star trek stuff is because i'm sitting on a whole bunch of star wars stuff and i would need a group that would want to play trek with me um but our group did play trek for a while uh, in the in the uh decipher coda system 
and we had a great time with it. Um, it it's a great universe when when everyone is kind of bought into the tropes of the universe. It can be uh, it can be a great time. Uh, just not, don't ever make a character who's got a red shirt on. Yeah, yeah, or just or just embrace it, embrace it, right. and, or just lean into it. it. Just just say, I think everybody should be a red shirt. Yeah, that'll be great. No, um, there's there's um, Trek is one of those RPGs that always struggles just a little bit um, because there's a higher there can be or there regularly is a hierarchy between the players based on rank where you have a captain and you have you know a a first officer yada 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 so it really takes a different kind of rpg group to have a successful uh, game where there is that kind of rank structure um and you have to talk about it openly and figure out ways around it because most people get a few friends together, let's play some D&D, let's play some this and some that, and everybody's basically an equal. And whoever has the best idea, you know, usually wins the day. And if you're trying to stay true to the universe of, of Star Trek or other, other games that are military-based, it can create a little bit of cognitive dissonance. That, that It's surmountable, we could talk about it on a whole separate episode, but uh, it takes a different level of care and attention, and, and people who are willing... To, to be subordinate to another player at the table in some cases and go along with a bad decision that they disagree with. Yeah, that's um, a, that's an you know, but th- that kind of can create some interesting role playing opportunities if 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 they're bought into it, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that there's elements that really want to push the rogue trader system into that way, right? I mean, the rogue trader is the captain. And there's kind of no debate about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, in fact, they have a player sheet where you rank them in their jobs, and it tells them like what order of command they are on the ship. And wow, I think you know we talked a little bit about it, Dan, where you were like, I don't want to get into a scenario where we have this strict hierarchy um, during our sessions. And I agreed with you. You know, I, I think that um, that wasn't. It wouldn't be super healthy, especially since like we don't like the group didn't know each other well enough to. And that's the biggest reason when it. you when you don't know kind of how people are invested into the game or how, what's yeah. fun for them, it's better to have everybody be closer to equals. That's why yeah. I made the captain be largely inept, so everybody felt like they were smarter than the captain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's part of the reason why I started you guys out on the planet the way I did, right? Which is, you had lost your ship two years prior. And you were eking out survival as a group together, right? That that'll break down a lot of hierarchy when you're not actually captaining a ship anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's also a great way to to step on the one guy who got to be the rogue trader who can't be the rogue trader. No, I'm messing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just joking. No, no, no. And, and so yeah, I mean, it, it, if you have a group that's that's really enjoying like any of the series if you're enjoying picard or you're enjoying discovery and there's one era of trek that everybody likes maybe all like the 1960s version you know um i I think it can be a lot of fun it can be great fun because the universe is so rich and there's lots of there's so much canon and so much interesting places to go if you're with a lot of people that don't have experience with rpg or don't have experience with trek you know, I would say it's a great second RPG to get people involved in. Um, it's better to start everybody off with something that's a that's got a little easier learning curve. Um, but um, 
I, I, I definitely am very close to like spending money on Humble Bundle like right now as we're talking. So I have to keep clicking away from the tab that has that open. Because <laughs> me and my wallet sometimes have disagreements over spending on RPGs. <laughs> I'm sure your wife has, uh, you know, stuff to say about it too, but you know. Yeah, don't bring it up. <laughs> first rule of buying rpgs don't talk about it buying rpgs she's like how come the books keep growing how come they keep multiplying <laughs> it's like you bought two or three and they were bunnies and they multiplied and i'm like ah, don't ask a lot of questions <laughs> uh that's awesome all right so uh speaking of rpgs uh one of the things that we wanted to get into today was really talking about some game master prep or dungeon master prep if you want if you know you're technically running a, a D&D game um, and what are what are some tips that you can take with you to improve your session so uh, as the title says this is six tips for GMs to improve your session and um, we each took two tips that we are going to talk about Justin and made me delete five of mine. I, I made him delete five because there probably is going to be a follow-up episode. I know there will be, but uh, yeah. Um, so I'll kick mine off um, as we go, and uh, we'll just kind of go, go around the table a little bit. But all right, so my first tip, um, and, and I got a lot of sense of this in, in prepping this week, was um, the first tip I have is know the rules, right? Um I think that that's such a basic one, but uh, it's one that I kind of learned from playing uh, Age of Sigmar too. And and Jason can probably attest to this that the game becomes a lot more fun when you have all of the rules in your head versus having to look it up every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's but you know there's when you're playing a new session system then it's everyone can be patient with each other for a little bit but right. when you've been playing it for you know a couple sessions you need to be able to just know you know how to do this mechanic and that's why we all hate grapple because no one yeah. no one understands how to do grapple no matter how in any system, system. <laughs> any system <laughs> grappling it, always sucks in any system anytime i, it's a, I had I typically just make up grapple rolls on the fly. I want to grab them. Okay, what do you want to do after you grab them? I want to grab them, and I want to try to, like, uh, pin them against my chest. Like, all right, let's just uh, give me a strength roll. Okay, and then he does a strength roll. Okay, you win. All right, you got it. Yeah, that is the best rule is to always make it up every time. Yep. <laughs> Unless you have a character who's fine-tuned to grapple and do damage when grappled. And, and in I that case, In that case, you need to unfriend them and, and uh, <laughs> kick them out of your group. Yeah. Right. They're not in, they're not allowed in your gaming group anymore. I um, I got so pissed off once at this one guy because he built this character around this mechanic that nobody understood, even himself. That uh, <laughs> we were down in a dungeon one time, and I found I went searching through the book for a creature who had who benefited from being grappled, and it was I think it was called a sturge. I don't remember, but it had like seven little pincer arms on it and like little sucker little sucker spikes like giant a giant mosquito and he was like they come into rooms like these things are flying around and they look like this okay i grab one i was like okay fine you it lets you grab it and it sticks all its pinchers into you and starts sucking your blood it's like wait what what <laughs> i was like you wanted to grab it you grabbed it <laughs> let's do this <laughs> doesn't he have to like uh go against my uh no dude he lets you grab him <laughs> that is Anyways. so great that's that awesome. is so great 
yeah, I uh, part of my um, part of my thoughts too as I was going is like I would read a section in the book, and this this is because this is a new session, uh, new system for me too, right? I would read a session in the book, and I would go do something else, and then I'd come back and reread it again, and I'd pick up different stuff, and I'd go away and then come back and read. I probably read our combat stuff so many times, and even then I still got a couple rules wrong as we were going through it. But that's kind of like, you know, like you said, Jason, you sort of have to play some of those out to be Mm -hmm. able to really understand how they work, you know. And um, uh, so you can be patient a little bit with, you know, people like helping correct you (laughs) if you got some of the rules wrong. Um, But, you know, my goal is to really have it down even for next session so that, you know, we can just do it and we can get to the easy parts of saying like, okay, yeah, you want to do that? Perfect. Here's what you got to roll. Here's what you got to do. You know, um, so yeah, know the rules. I think that's one of that's one of my core ones. And, and I think and, and, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I think you did a great job of being willing to uh, take feedback from somebody else who's willing to look up the rules when you don't know the answer. I think that's yeah. a really good tip. Is to say, hey, I, I'm not. I think this is how I'm going to adjudicate it now. If somebody goes tells me what page I'm wrong, we'll just go with that from that point forward. And I think we did that a couple times. Yeah. And it really smoothed things out. It keeps the game going. At the same time, it's fair, and um, it's good. So well done. Yep. Thank you, sir. And be, right, at the end what? of the day, like you said, just be willing to say everybody at the table. Hey, we don't know how to do this roll. We'll look it up later. For now, let's just roll a dice. If it's a uh, high, then we'll do that. If it's low, then we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah, just, just keep it moving, on. right? Yep. Keep it moving. Nobody likes it when you have to sit and you're like, okay, hold on, hold on. Let me look this up. And you're like, flip it through. You're like, was that in chapter six or chapter eight? Yeah, because some of these books, it's not as intuitive to find the information. Yeah. And they're written by mere mortals, too. None of these right. are yep. heavily edited by, very, you know, you know, the games industry is great and people do a nice job, but it's not like there's a lot of user experience and customer experience people going what's the right way to write a role-playing game in a way where it doesn't right. completely confuse everyone and their dog? Yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my brother, Nate, who I talk about a lot, who listens to the show, he he uh, is a technical writer by trade. And so, All right. um, and he's done that for a lot of very big tech companies. And you may mm-hmm. have a piece of uh, hardware in your pocket that, that uh, he, he wrote stuff on. So, But every time he picks up an RPG book, he goes, oh, Amateurs. It's it's really hard. <laughs> it, it is really hard to teach somebody an RPG uh, game without just playing it first. It's better to learn from a person, and then hopefully the person is a hundred percent right, and then you go back to the the book to reinforce what you learned from the person. Yeah. Um, but that that's not always the case. I mean, here we are telling people to jump on Humble Bundle, and they'll be like, "Hey, uh, I've never played this game before, but I, I want to jump in." So it's it, it's a best case scenario. You can't always do. Just just try to have fun. Yep, have yeah. fun. Uh, Jason, why don't you give us your first rule? Uh, my first rule, I call it the rule of four. Uh, whenever I have, I've, I've run, I've been a DM over several systems over several years with different groups. Um, one thing that I found is the most helpful to me is you know because you're going to be you're going to be thinking about your full story arc for these players, you know, throughout the whole campaign. But when I come down to sit down and play the game, I don't. And this kind of ties into my second one, but I'll just hit my first. The rule of four is to come with four role-playing opportunities and four encounters. Those have to be in my back pocket when I come every night. So sit down, and I literally, on a sheet of paper, right at the beginning of my notebook or whatever, 
uh, your notepad or, or tablet or whatever, I have a table with two columns and four rows. And the, the rows on the left are role-playing opportunities. And I just have a very short name, like it's Mute Susan in the bar, you know, or, um, you know, uh, investigate the doctor, you know, or, yeah, investigate the surgery that went wrong. Stuff like that. And then on the other side, I have four encounters, which is, you know, thugs come in the back entrance while they're doing investigation or, you know, uh, some random thing. Anyways, the point is I have found most people like to sit down and play about a three and a half to four hour session. That's, you know, what the sessions are at like Gen Con and, and big gaming conventions. It's about four hours for role playing games. Especially and if, if you've you ha- got like six people involved, yeah. right? And I found that if I have four role playing opportunities, and for encounters in my back pocket, I can fill a three and a half to four hour session and keep it moving and keep everybody engaged. And and I don't know if you've mentioned this before, you gotta be willing to move the cheese with those, right? If Let's say that those thugs that were supposed to break into the hospital while they were doing an investigation in the morgue, let's say they decided never to go to the morgue, right? That's fine. Move the thugs wherever they go. Have the thugs show up at wherever they want. Let's say they right. decided to break into the back of McDonald's or something like that, right? Then that's fine. Have the thugs rob the the restaurant while they're in the back doing something. It's it's okay. And that goes to my second point of a GM is never, never, ever plan a session on rails. Players will hate, will literally, I mean, hate hate it when they get put in a minecart that has to go a specific way for the story to unfold you just can't let that happen you got to be willing to change the story if they want to go somewhere and investigate something else that's okay all you got to do is grab one of those encounters or one of those role play sessions and move them to a different location and and the players will never know the difference all they'll know is that an epic story is unfolding and you'll you'll have a better time as a dm too because you won't feel like you're kind of pigeonholing your players those are my two two things. Rule of four and no rails. So you know, it's, it's, oh, it's interesting that you said that, uh, Jason, because um, so for our session that we had with the Rogue Trader, um, you guys quickly encountered a rival group that uh, Dan yeah. accosted <laughs> early on, <laughs> right? And um, I have a thing on my sheet that said I was supposed to do that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you know, that you weren't supposed to accost them? No, that is like you, you never let a uh, – there's a, an element in the game where there's an aspect of my character that, that, that I, I can't remember the name of it, but I can't let an offense against me or my crew stand. Oh. Fantastic. And ah, so yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm always going to be part of the problem. Good role not, play. not part of the solution. So I, I can play. point right to my character sheet where I got, what page I got that from. So don't throw me under the bus for being irrational. Well, I, I mean, I think it, I think it worked out, right? Because you guys got a high, high awareness thing, and you saw that there was what appeared mm-hmm. to be another group casing the same place that you did, and the original thought was, well, maybe we can have them join us. I mean, it's better in numbers, right? And I was planning to have you guys encounter this group during the tournament, right? Like that you yeah. would see them, and that they would kind of skedaddle, and you would sort of be like, okay, well, let's keep an eye on them, and then later. they'd show up again later in the tournament. Well, you guys decided to fight them right then and there. And um, so <laughs> the whole Whoops. aspect of, like, the thing where you guys went to the um, – you guys ended up going to a gambling house and that conversation between the two guys where, you know, one team dropped out and there was a spot open for you guys. 
that had to be totally made up on the spot. Yep. Because you guys totally decided to do something else that was out of my control, right? Yeah, and you'll find play. You will have players that are trying to break you out of your. Out of your <laughs> game, right? I, I will break you. Yeah, they're, they're like, oh, he wants us to do this. Okay, well, then whatever. we won't. You know. How can so, we get him to cry? <laughs> get him to cry! Don't cry, GM! Don't cry! Right. <laughs> Stop bullying the GM! Yeah, I had a player. Just an example of that, and then, and then I'll, I'll yield to Dan because he's got some great points. Um, I had an example that I was running a Firefly um, uh, RPG uh, campaign years ago, and <clears throat> we had this one mission kind of that everybody was going to do. Uh, they had to, you know, get in a boat and probably go out somewhere. I don't remember the details, but one of the players was like, <clears throat> "You know, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, I'm going to go take my wives because he was a polygamist." <laughs> funny it says we're gonna go on a cruise and i was like okay all right great so everyone else was prepping for the mission and getting ready to go and they got in the ship and running it out meanwhile this guy went and got on a cruise boat so i'm like all i'm context switching at the table and so what i did just up there on the fly right is i just i i created a scenario where he was on the cruise boat having a great time and all of a sudden one of his wives went missing and I'm just, I'm like winging this, right? I'm like, one of your wives are missing. He's like, well, where's, uh, you know, Sally the third or something. Now? And so, and he goes and searches and he finds her and he find he like sees her being kidnapped, like a being, having a bag put over her head. I basically had to like kite him back into the scenario by kidnapping one of his wives. And it was a great thing. He like, he got in a ship and like chased after these guys and basically like take me instead of my wife. He was being all heroic. And he got in the ship, and these guys just happened to be going to the same facility that all the other guys were gearing up to invade. So now, instead of this turning into a mission, this is on the fly, instead of this turning into a mission where they were supposed to like invade and steal something, now, not only did they have to invade and steal something, they also had to rescue their teammate, who is now chained up in a room deep inside the station. Oh, that's fantastic. And it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. But you got to be willing to alternate, move the cheese, realize that your story is going to evolve with the players just as much as their characters evolving with your story. Well, and you could have played that differently where you're like, fine, okay, uh, you drank another margarita on the ship. Okay, another group. Yeah. And just yeah. like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. You could have just been like, you want to go do something that I didn't plan for you? Fine, have fun. You yeah, did. You nothing. don't want to play the game? Okay. Yeah. 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 How much you are you going to tip your room steward? You need to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you could have done that, but instead you you know you kind of made it interesting. And, and kudos to you for uh, you know coming up with that on the fly. That's pretty that's pretty good. It's a lot of fun. It takes a little bit of time to figure that kind of stuff out, but as long as you got a good group of people that are that are flexible, you can have a good time. Yeah, and and having a sandbox mentality of we can go in yeah. any direction. The GM has to be on board with. If the GM can't do that, some GMs need the book. Some GMs need the adventure because mm-hmm. you need the you need the experience. Sometimes you have to, you know, walk before you can run, and that's fine too. If those, if you're having yeah. fun, have fun. That's great. Um, but but you, even in a book adventure, you'll find somebody who, it's it's just human entropy when you get four or five people around a table that say, well, what about doing X, and why can't we try X? And if it's not in the book, you're going to have to improvise. And 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 what? Let me go back to what Jay said, which is four role playing opportunities and four encounters. I ran an entire campaign for a year doing this exact system on seven note cards 
because I figured there were five planets my party of Jedi could go to, and then they could decide not to do that, so I had another card for that, and then I had a seventh one just as a back pocket, just to see you know, if there's an adventure that unfolds without my direct involvement. And it works like a charm, and you yeah. don't have to do all four things as long as nope. you keep the story going. And you, you always have something in your back pocket. And so it helps planning, too, because you're like, okay, well, I don't need to plan every eventuality. You take the book that has your NPCs or the cards that have your NPCs, and you you know, you know, match them up with, with those cards, mm -hmm. with, with your four and four. And maybe you only need a stat block for one social encounter because they're dealing with the mayor or something like that. Um, and and it's a great way to stay loose and be prepared at the same time, um, and have a quick easy answer, and and the players feel like they're unfolding something even though they're not on rails and they are adding, you know, crazy sidebars to what you're doing. So, so this is a little bit, and and I'm gonna stay on this. I'm gonna stay on Jay's two points real quick before we move over to Dan's and and my last one as well. But um, Jay. A lot of people tend to run um, campaigns out of books, out of the abyss, right? Um, yeah. Uh, Horse Dragon Queen, like yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you've got you've got all of these books that are basically are saying like, okay, here's your adventure, and then the adventure party goes to this place, and then this happens, and then they go to that place, and then that happens, and I mean, for lack of a better term, the books are kind of railroading. The candy, right? yeah. Mm -hmm. And so how do you balance what you're trying to do with what you, you know, because this is kind of a little bit of homebrew that you did, but I know you've used this system for pre-planned adventures as well. Yeah, we. I ran out of the abyss, or at least the first half of it with the group and Dan and Justin, I think you guys were both in that. Um, and I, I will say in order to be able to kind of diverge from the path, um, and still keep the story coherent, you have to understand the general theme of the story. And Out of the Abyss, because it was a book, you know, if I'm doing something that's homebrew, I don't really care. It's like, yeah. whatever's going to happen is going to happen. The story's going to evolve. But if Out of the Abyss had an actual goal at the end, and things that you did in certain areas affected other areas. Um, and so I, I actually took a weekend, well, a couple weekends, and I actually read that entire book to make sure I understood it. And then once I understood the theme, I didn't really care what you guys did when you went to the different areas because I knew what the overall theme was going to be. The theme, you know, was that the abyss was a place where uh, the dimension was cracking to the abyss and the demigorgon was finding a way through. Not just the demigorgon, but the other, the other whatever they are, right? The gods or demons, demon yeah. gods, whatever. Anyways, uh, and, and so when you guys diverged from what the book wanted you to do, it didn't really matter so much to me because I'd kind of done my homework. And as a GM, to be honest, you got to do your homework um, a little bit in a set in a, in a system like D and D when you're trying to follow a rule book. I'll say one other thing about that. If, if you're okay with it, break out of the book. If the players want to do something else and it breaks the story arc, and you're fine with that, break the story arc and go in a totally different direction with it. Just realize that you're there just to have fun and tell an epic story. It doesn't matter if it's the original story. It just matters that it's an epic story. Yeah, I think I think you hit a, upon like a key thing right there, right? Which is, 
you know, you look at these encounters that are in these books, and it'll say, okay, so the players go talk to the mayor, and the mayor, you know, explains this huge problem to them, and they have to, you know, he's going to tell them to go do X, Y, and Z, and then they come back, and he gives them their next clue to move on to the next thing or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. the, the point there is that the mayor or some authority figure needs to give them the next clue. Yeah, I mean that's that's the core nut of it, right? They have to go to this area and do something in order to get the next clue. Figure something out. And so, if they choose to do something wildly different than, you know, they have to go see the mayor and the mayor sends them off or whatever. They do something wildly different, then maybe it's uh, somebody else that has a thing of the clue that they could encounter, and give it to them. And you know what I mean? So you, you, mm -hmm. I, I feel like what yeah. you're saying is like you just have to be uh, adaptable, and realize what the core premise of what you're trying to do is to be able to adapt it on the fly if need be absolutely yeah right on right on all right dan hit us up with one or two of yours okay so this is an easy one i know we, we you know everybody has high-minded ideals towards being a perfect dm or gm and it's 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 an art form and so not everybody the first time they put paint to canvas can can be picasso and don't hold yourself to that standard so mm -hmm. here's an easy one uh, pictures worth a thousand words. Um, everybody has laptops. Everybody has access to, you know, PowerPoint or Google Slides or something like that. You know, Google is an infinite has an infinite amount, number of images. You know, you're, if you're not doing this for money and you're not going to publish what you're doing, you can click on a website and show somebody a picture of what you mean or pull that picture into uh, a PowerPoint slide deck and use that. Use that to help tell your story because you can set a feeling for a, um, a, a vibe for a location in, in one image that would take you a lot of time to explain or, you know, have the pictures do a lot of the work for you to help describe how big and terrible this, this bad guy looks or you know uh, how beautiful this town is or the city is and mm -hmm. and what what you're fighting for and stuff like that that can be a great way to get buy-in and it's a great way to get pathos or an emotional connection between the players and what what they're um what they're dealing with you know so put names on things and say this is this is you know this is fred and you know fred needs your help and 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 once once they they can visualize that character in a, in a more visual medium in, in a similar way to television or movies, then, then you'll get a, you'll get a different level of investment. If you, if you find PowerPoint is a big pain in the butt because you want to put stuff up on a screen and you don't want to jump to us, you don't want your players to see a slide of something that is a surprise. Let me recommend to you Prezi. It's an online two dimensional or three dimensional presentation tool. Um, it will do really cool things if you learn how to use Prezi and you can use it at work. You can like blow everybody's socks off in a presentation because it'll do two, it'll do two and three dimensional things that um, PowerPoint will never do. You can zoom in really tight on something or zoom out. I used it a lot um, for nonlinear adventures when I knew there were six or seven places people could could go and mm -hmm. I didn't know which way they would go. But I wanted to have a visual of, of, of that. I, you could do really great mind maps of branching stories and ideas and, and, and incorporate uh, image and texts into that. 
um, and zoom in, zoom out. You can hide things because you can make it super small and then you can use your scroll wheel to zoom in real big and blow it up for everybody if you have a monitor to present on or a projector or something. So that's kind of like a fun tip if you find that graphical interface fun. I still go back and look at the prezies that I did for Edge of the Empire and I could still use them today. They're all saved online. If I needed to run, um, you know, the the beginning encounters, the free missions that they give to you online, I, I have it. I have it available. I could just pull it up, and and um, so it's it's it can be a really fun tool to to help you tell your story. Um, but it's better even if you're just clicking on a web page on your laptop and turning your laptop around you know, or even clicking on your phone and handing your phone to the players and saying, this is what this this uh, NPC looks like. Um, that, that is a good thing to do. Um, and I, I highly encourage it, even if it's, it's quick and dirty. I think it's been very helpful. Um, I used to think that I was a Star Wars nerd fan until I started playing with some friends like Dan that I have that know these things like the back of their hand and when and be, but it's great to play rpg star wars rpg with you guys because you um you are so detailed uh can be so detailed you can also it doesn't the details don't necessarily matter but mm. but you can geek out about that and when you pull up that projector or not projector but when you pull up the screen and i see an actual image of a person with you know a very complex to pronounce name and we all know that i struggle with pronunciations uh i look at it and I remember that picture so that later on when you say that name, I know who we're talking about. It means something a little bit more to me. Another yeah. thing I really like is when you put up pictures of cities, it gives an instant feel for what is this city? Is it a slum? 100%. Is it a rich place? You know, is it wealthy? Is, you know, what is it? Was it Brooklyn? Those kinds of things. It, it really helps to set the setting. I really enjoyed your presentation when you do that kind of stuff. Oh, thank you. And it doesn't, it doesn't slow, the way that you did it with like PowerPoint or whatever, it didn't slow the game down. No, it doesn't at all. Right? Because you could be talking about what's going on and I'm staring at the image of the city, imagining us having that conversation in one of those rooms in one of those buildings. Yeah, exactly. You know, and um, it really does enhance it. That's a, that's a, a great point, Dan. Yeah. And, and don't make perfect the enemy of good enough. It's, it, you know, it's just an, and everybody who's GMing, if you've never GMed in your life, you could, you could go on Google Slides and put together five slides and a slide deck of images that you think really help you tell your story and, and, and let the technology do the work for you. That's an area where technology can really make your yeah. life easier as, mm -hmm. as a storyteller. So it's, that's one of my tips. Absolutely. Um, all right. So my last tip um is that clues need to be over the top obvious for players and i've got two ways of kind of going about this um and and i learned early on actually that what i thought was obvious was usually not obvious enough because i've been studying the materials right mm -hmm. yeah and i'm like okay mm -hmm. well this is gonna be i mean I've, I've been like foreshadowing this for like three sessions now so obviously they're going to pick up on that and it was like crickets and I'm like oh crap <laughs> you know <laughs> because they're just not keyed in on it you know and and I can't blame the players for it because um I know where I'm trying to take the story you know um where the story arc is uh, I want it to go and I've been planning it and I've been thinking about it and thinking about it and the players haven't they're just thinking about like okay well we're stuck in this prison cell how are we going to get out you know what I mean? Um, and so uh, I found that, A, 
if you're only going to give one clue, you know, um, it needs to be so over the top obvious that Watson can figure it out. You don't need Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> You know you're I mean? not talking about our friend who you're not talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think I think that it needs to be so over the top obvious. But my preferred method is actually a multi-stage clue giving process, right? I like that better. So to give an example, um, you guys were fighting in this tournament, right? Um, and you had a data pad that you couldn't hack into. But you were given some opportunities to check out what was um, uh, going on in this Rogue Trader tournament that I had set up for you guys. And you realized that somebody had been tampering with the systems, right? So you did, as a group, different checks, right? So somebody did a technology check. Somebody did a cryptology check. Somebody did a scrutiny check, you know. And, and all these successes added up to more and more clues. If you had only gotten one, I would have given you one clue that would have probably gotten you about 25% of the way there, you know, but you ended up getting a bunch of it and figuring out this, uh, oh, by the way, our rival uh, rogue trader family um, is setting us up to die, you know, and that kind of mm -hmm. revealed as it went along, and I like the way that that sort of played out because you guys were starting to figure out that something was going wrong. And, you know, it was through a group effort that you were able to solve that problem or that mystery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, we watched, my wife watches like detective shows and that kind of stuff. And it, we like to think of ourselves as super awesome detectives. But in reality, when you watch a two hour movie or you watch, you know, an hour TV show and you're like, you think that you're figuring it. Oh, I figured it out. I know who the bad guys. I know who did the murder. It's because there's so many clues the audience is getting that the that the main actors aren't getting. You're getting all these extra clues that are allowing you to make you know intuitive jumps and those things. You think in real life, detectors take days and weeks to solve cases. Right. Right. And we have four. We have a four hour session, and not even that. You've got probably a hour and a half before the next arc of your session to solve yeah. a case. So yeah, you got to be over the top sometimes with the clues. Yeah, and but, I mean and that I think helps you move the story difficult. along. That helps move the story along faster. Sorry to talk over you. No, you're fine. Um, but um, there's a lot. Usually, you know, talk to most GMs. They can't get everything done in a night that they prepared for. Yeah. And sometimes an over the top clue can be helpful if yep, if absolutely maybe if it saves if it saves you a half an hour of spinning your wheels and going down the wrong path. It's 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 time well spent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, it's, you know, there's an aspect to sort of investigations, and I'm not talking about investigations in general, because sometimes you want to frustrate the players a little bit, right, and have them think of, um, um, you know, alternative ways to solve the problem, right, other than just being like, well, we're going to talk to this guy, and he's just going to spill the beans, you know, um, and if, you know, that one guy doesn't spill the beans, then what do they do, you know, like, what's, what's their next step, so... Um, you know, I think investigations can last as long or as little as you want it to. You know, obviously you don't want to frustrate the players too much. I think giving a little bit of tension there is healthy because it starts getting the the, the gears rolling a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is once you're given that clue, if, if it's, you know, a clue to something else and they don't get it, then what are you going to do? 
You know what I mean? That was your clue. <laughs> you know? Like, if it's supposed to move them from point A to point B, and they mm-hmm. still don't, can't figure it out that it's point B, like, you got to come up with something <laughs> on the fly to get them there when that was supposed to be the thing that was supposed to move them there. You know? Yeah, look in the mirror for the solution to that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my second one. So, you know, first one, know the rules. Second one, you know, clues need to be over-the-top obvious when you're trying to, you know, move move players along. Yep. Uh, last one, number six on our list is mine is don't get adversarial with your players. I think um, people who RPG, I think we have to be regularly reminded as the DMs and GMs that it's not our, we are not in a competition with the players that it's it's not your job to punish them or to win uh, in a conventional binary way, winners and losers. You're going on an adventure together and you need to be invested in their success just as much as they're invested in your story, right? Right. Um, yeah. So sometimes this is an easy trap for GMs to fall in is the players have figured out something that they found was fun that didn't fit into your big story. Because you're thinking three stories ahead and what you're going to do. And then suddenly there's three or four players going, well, we really just want to set up a side business where we're arms dealers. And, and, and they start jamming on it. And they start getting excited about that idea. And you're like, and you're thinking, oh, I've got to take all this stuff away from them because i got to get them back on the rails. i got to get them back uh, onto right. what I want to do because I am the game master and I've got this big epic story that I'm telling, that's like what not to do. Um, you figure out a way to double down on w- what they're doing to have fun. Maybe going off the rails is what's fun. Maybe coming up with stupid character names is fun. You, you'll always play with somebody who will name their character or something like, you know, Dingleberry Fart Nugget. And you just go <laughs> with it. Don't don't push back on it because that's that's their fun. And, and, and you're you're trying to generate something together to collectively have fun um sometimes it's leveling up sometimes if you're a gm and your players are really frustrated because they're not leveling fast enough and they're like okay well by my calculator we got to play six more sessions for me to get a level to get a feat to get this to get this to get this you need to think about how generous or stingy you're being with with experience points because actually character design is fun and you may have people at the table that that's, that's what they enjoy. Uh, you may have people at the table who actually don't want to roll dice for a social encounter, but they want to talk to you playing every other character in the universe. And they want to um, have more of uh, an interactive role play session, not in rolling dice, but, but, but in a dialogue thing. So get to know your players. And if you don't know what your players like, Look back on your session when you're done and when was everybody most engaged and when was everybody laughing and enjoying themselves? And and then think about the times where everybody was on their cell phones and going, what was going on then? Well, so-and-so was showboating because they went on off, off their side mission and they did a side quest and everybody had to kind of tolerate it for an hour and they were all playing, you know, Brick Breaker on their phone or whatever, whatever they're playing. Mm-hmm. And, and think about that and think about, well, if I want to do the best possible session, I want to keep everybody engaged. I want to make sure every character has an opportunity to shine uh, and, and, and put your story points in the backseat of servicing that 
fun experience. And it's very hard to do because you've prepared for this night. You know the bad guys. You know what they're doing. You know their secret plans. You know how strong they are. And and sometimes you're you're going to have to be flex. You, you've got to be flexible. I really like Jason's rule to do four and four. The four and four uh, tip is is a way for you to stay flexible in your preparation, and and still have fun. But if and I look, I've been GMing since like 1989, since I was a young lad, and I've done this wrong so many times. So be a learning human being. Human beings can learn from each other. There's no reason you can't learn from other GMs or people in your group that have done it, or people online, or or such and such, and absorb as many of these tips as you can. Um, and and and. You know, don't go to the school of hard knocks when it comes to GMing because what can happen is, is you have a couple bad sessions in a row or one super bad session, and suddenly the group just disappears and no one wants to keep playing. <laughs> I've experienced that too, where there was one bad session and suddenly the GM's like, "I'm done," and three of the players are like, "I'm done," and I'm sitting there with my awesome character going, "My character is awesome, and I wanted to level up." <laughs> 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 we can't be done here. There's more to this to this character's story. So, just yeah, um, you know, it reminds me one time, Dan. I was I was running our Shadow of the Demon Lord campaign, and Jason, you'll probably remember this. I wanted to. Put the players in prison. It was at the end of the session. Oh, I remember this. Oh yeah, and you know, um, and and I, I wanted to kind of give this this feeling, and I think I succeeded in this part of getting the f- players a little frustrated with the town, um, because no matter what they did, it seemed like they were being blamed for a bunch of stuff that they're doing. I think uh, our buddy John took that to heart really well too. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, and this, I mean, you guys still hate the term Granville, which was the city. Oh, yep. like, oh yeah. I hate that place. That's you know? okay. And, um, and that was part of, I mean, that was part of the setting too, that they were playing in, but I wanted this, this part where I, I put the players in, in jail and I was going to end the session and I was going to start the session with them busting out of jail. Well, the players weren't totally into that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And boy, they, I got so much backlash and, 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 and rightfully so to an extent, right? Because I was, you know, really, I, I said, it doesn't matter what you guys do. You're being arrested. Yeah, that's, you get <laughs> online at any GM forum and they'll tell Railroad. you, never, never do the jail card. Yeah, yeah. You, you, know, can, you and, can start an entire campaign with everybody getting out of jail and then you've blown the blown it for the rest of forever. <laughs> yeah. and, and don't go back there. It's not fun. Yeah, so it was it was an interesting learning experience, and, and we never did that. You know, we never did that again. Um, but <laughs> it was uh, it was a little tough, you know. And and I do think there's times where it's like, you know, I think players should face overwhelming odds and realize, okay, we're not going to get out of this one per se, and maybe have a little bit of trust in their GM that there's going to be opportunities to present them, you know, themselves for escape or something like that later on. But that it did not go over well, and and this is that was an adversarial position that I had put myself in with my players. It was me saying, "I am putting you guys in jail, whether you guys like it or not." Mm. You know, and mm. it did not go to bed without your well. dinner. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> you know, and and sometimes it's it's player autonomy. Um, I had uh, our good friend Mike. He listens to the show. Uh, he wanted to have every adventure start the minute the last one stopped. 
So I had no time to do the other things, the side things in between adventures that I wanted to do with that character. And I got frustrated playing that character because we, I designed, you know, I had, a, I had a character I thought that would be able to do cool things in the background that wouldn't sh- take up everybody else's time. Um, and, and so you have to figure out what, what's annoying your players. Um, and, and you can't let one player's bugaboo ruin it for the majority too. I mean, you have to, you have to be thoughtful about that. And sometimes here's the biggest mistake. That's part of this is not ruining your player's fun. If your player has a piece of gear that they are in love with (laughs) and you think it's your job to break that gear or steal that gear, um, you are on thin ice. Yep. It better pay off big time. That guy better say, well, you know, he stole my sword, but I went and got it. And when I got it, I got this treasure tr- trove and all this experience. It's got to pay off big time because if you go after somebody's precious gear that, that they love, you're not. You're, you're playing a game that, that, it, that it's not as cooperative as it, as it could or should be in a role play. Yeah. Well, and if you back that up, like... Why did you let that guy have that piece of gear that might be overpowered in the first place? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And so yeah. so you have to kind of ask yourself, like, okay, well, what led to this? And realize that, oh, dang it, I shouldn't have done that. And now if I try to take it away, it's like stealing candy from a toddler, which is not as easy as stealing it from a baby. You know, because yeah. they scream and cry and throw a fit and yeah. all that stuff. So Yeah, why um, did you hand your players a time machine where they can fix every problem? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, th- think about that. You know, it's like, oh well, you know, my this magic sword will solve every problem I always have ever. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough. It's it's tough. You don't want to be stingy, but at the same time, sometimes players will find something they're fixated on. Maybe it's another NPC or a familiar. You know, I've been with people that just love their their wolf or their you know or their hawk or something like that. Um, or maybe it's it's a sidekick that that everybody you know is is a beloved member of the party. Um, don't go after that. Don't break that fun because if if everybody is having fun, unless one player is making is taking away fun from the general group, which can happen, uh, just go with it. Yeah, good advice. Great stuff. All right, I have a feeling that we have in our back pocket probably another many many tips for all you listeners so um don't be surprised if in the future we see another six tips for you or or, or something because i think we just scratched the surface of it tonight so i think this will think... this will be our go-to when we don't have a topic yeah, that's right there you go there you go uh but yeah thank you jason thank you dan for uh, providing your tips for us and um thank you audience for listening to us and uh we hope to catch you next week All right, see ya. Bye, everybody.